You sent two assholes to do Cody, and they blew it. I paid you half. I want it back. Yeah, well, uh, I'm trying to get that money back myself. I had to front the whole purchase to get my people to do their thing. So I ain't got it no more. Well, then, uh, you better try and shit 40 grand. Because I ain't leaving without it. <laughs> oh, you could. Next time, there'll be no fuck up. What next time? He's in protective custody. <laughs> yeah. Protective custody don't mean shit to me. The man's dead. In a pig's ass. Want my paper, Jeff? I can't afford to have it circulating right now. All right, everyone, we're back. We apologize for the little break there. I know you're all worried about us. Oh my God, where's my Citizen Frame episode? My life's just not the same without it. Exactly. Well, actually, that's what Trevor says. Because <laughs> Trevor says <laughs> he can't live without me, and he can't live without the podcast is what he's saying there. Um, uh, <laughs> I think it was more like, oh, fuck this shit, Kieran. <laughs> I need a fucking he's break like, from you. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. Oh, God, you know, I just worked a lot, blah, blah. And he's like, uh, well, no, postpone this week. Fuck them. We'll we'll we deserve it. <laughs> fuck our listeners. We're taking a week off. Yeah, we need a break, too. Yeah. We need a holiday. I'll tell you what, guys. Uh, we're going to finish the William Freakin uh, retrospective today, and then we're going to jump into Mission Impossible 3. Then we're taking a break from Mission Impossible because the new one won't be out for a little bit yet. And we're and usually we do our retrospectives in sync, but we've got a really good Halloween month coming up. So good that we are going to make it almost two months of Halloween. Extended. Yep. So we're going to be, it's our haunting and exorcisms uh, Halloween month and a half or two. And then. Haunted houses. Yep. And then we got Christmas, which is our biggest, biggest time. So that's going to be fun. So we kind of got a light up set and then we jump into Halloween. And don't you worry. That's right. We're going to be doing Barbie. So I think that'll be a fun one too. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> it'll be an interesting one at very least. Yeah. So after we do miss uh, this Mission Impossible three, we're gonna be doing the Meg one, the Meg two, uh, the Blob, a little uh, nice little uh, remake that I think is quite frankly underrated by Chuck Russell. Always liked it. And then we're going to do Barbie, and that's gonna be our. Or a send off as we go to the Halloween retrospective. And of course, the new Exorcist will be there. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. So we got a busy time, so we took a week off. All right. So we're talking here. William Freakin. William Freakin's going back. To, uh, a lot of people think William Freakin's the horror guy. You know, kind of like Toby Hooper, who did uh, Texas Chainsaw. Well, it's actually, he was a horror guy. Um, yeah. But <laughs> exactly. William Frickin did The Exorcist, and that's what he's known for. Don't get me wrong, he's known for a lot of other things, including the great, great, great French Connection. Um, and he's a lot like John Carpenter, which could tackle a lot of genres. And he didn't go back to horror until we recently talked about it at The Guardian. So we want to go back to his roots. We talked the French Connection 
God, a couple years back. So we want to talk about To Live and Die in L.A., which is a film that kind of goes back to his French Connection days, really about good cops, but they cross the line on what uh, on morals and ethics to get the bad guy. And yeah. that's what French Connection was about, about Popeye Doyle, and this is what we get with Richard Chance with uh, William Peterson. So it, it, it kind of goes back to to what works for him. And of course, we got the great chase scene coming up, and like you did with French Connection, and the great shootouts and so forth. But there's a nice little twist in this one, which uh, is still holds up today. And a lot of the influence of this film alone, I think, stands that would stand the test of time. Uh, we've got a series of great films to piggyback on this, including William Freakin being in Manhunter. And and yes. so on. Well, William Peterson being a manhunter, yeah. So did I say William Freakin? Yeah. Oops. <laughs> uh, and there's some fun. There's some uh, William Freakin. Uh, there's a little uh, a little uh, rumor that Michael Mann was pissed off at Freakin for this film because it kind of took the Miami Vice vibe, and uh, that's a lie, by the way. Uh, they're actually good friends. And I would have to say Michael Mann would be more of a admirer of Freakin because Freakin's style in his, his telling of like uh, French Connection. I don't think we would have Michael Mann's, one of his first films. I could be wrong if it's his first film, but I just watched it the other day called Thief with James Caan. And Michael Mann, you can really see a lot of William Freakin's French Connection in his, in his work. Um, and that's an insult to Michael Mann because Michael Mann's a genius and we'll certainly be tackling him. Both great directors. I would say as well regarding um, Manhunter that came out a couple of years later and again starred William Peterson. Uh, Peterson um, in both films, To Live and Die in L.A. And this actually, there's only I think, a year between the two films' yeah. releases. Yeah. Um, but Peterson's playing very similar characters. But d- down to his brilliant acting and the direction and writing, they are... Um, you know, they're very different characters as well. If you know, what well, I mean. you know what's funny you say that. I don't think he does. I don't. I don't. I don't think he. That's what I like about William Peterson, because you could be a copy and paste and just carry over the same character. You know, every yeah. film you do, um, like Arnie. But I love you, Arnie. I'm not just anybody. But you know, that's because you're it's, afraid. It's too. Arnie. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you, you're my friend. Well, a serious actor. You're my friend. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a horrible. Peterson's a serious actor. But the, Arnie's a, but, an action star and a movie star. But what William Peterson did in this one, it's complete. I think opposite of what he did in Manhunter, because Manhunter, he's a man who's tired, he's fed up, he's well. He, they're both tormented cops. Well, really, I don't think they are. And well, let, let's are. dive into it. Let's dive into it. Yeah, and we'll okay. see what's going on here. Where to talk to live and die in L.A. Now. We've got a, uh, kind of a quiet cast, which I always say I like. We got Richard Chance, played by William Peterson. Eric Masters, played by Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe got this part, and I don't think a lot of people realize Willem Dafoe. Um, the reason he got this role, and it's a little cult film, but we might tackle it. I'm a big Walter Hill fan, as you guys all know, from the Warriors yeah. and you know Southern Comfort and Forty Eight Hours. But he did a little film called Streets of Fire. Yes, and great soundtrack, guys. It's like a rock. Yes, that's the one. What he called the guy who worked with Meatloaf. Um, he did the soundtrack. Yeah, for John Stein. John Steinem. That is Steinbach. Steinman. Steinbach. Steinman. 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 Sorry. Steinman. Sorry. Yes. Steinman. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. John Steinbach. 
<laughs> yeah, but there is, that Steinbeck is a name. No, so I know, I know, but Steinman. St- St- Steinman, Steinman, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's like a rock opera. Yes. And it's got Michael Pear and uh, beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, Diane Lane. And the, From 1984. Yeah, the bad guy was played by Defoe. And he was so over the top. It's the movie that put him on the map. And then he got this role. Which is funny because I think this character is more grounded than I remember. Um, so you got, yeah, Defoe plays Eric Masters. You got Daphne from Frasier. <laughs> That's right. I just, yes. I just want to throw that in there. She's a British actress, actually. I know she plays a lot of American roles, and she's very much established as an American actor. But she's actually from the north of England. Well, she's in Frasier and well, stuff. I just said that, and also in Frasier, she's yeah. from England. Oh, that's right. Yeah, but she has. I mean, she actually started. You know what she started off in? No, no. Um, she started off in the Benny Hill show. Ah, oh, there you go. She was a Benny Hill girl. I didn't realize she's yes. so young. It's amazing how young they look yep. and how they've traveled because in Frasier, she's so young. Yeah, that's you it. Know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But you got John played by um, uh, John Pacnow. You got Carl by played by the great, the only guy you could play smimy but likable is John Turturro. Always brilliant. Uh, Ruth, Darlene Flugel, Bob Grimes, who was played by Dean, the great Dean Stockwell, who I miss. Yep. Uh, Jeff, Steve James, blah, blah, blah. We could go on. Uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s dad is the police captain. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Let's talk about the soundtrack. Soundtrack's fucking brilliant. Uh, yeah, Wang, Wang Chung. Yeah, Wang Chung was huge. And, you know, Wang Chung, Tanaz, everybody, Wang, whatever. I, I have to... Uh, I have to be honest with you, I was never really into their music as such, but it works perfectly here. Yeah, it's funny. You, it, it's We talked about Highlander and how I think the, the Queen soundtrack ruined the film. and mm-hmm. But it's a wonderful album by Queen, Yes, but it should be taken out of the film. But Wang Chung, it works. And there's a, there's yes. a great story about this is where, and freaking wasn't wrong when he told Wang Chung... I want your vibe, but I don't want a song titled To Live and Die in L.A. Yeah. And yeah. so Wang Chung went ahead and did it anyway. And then he listened to it. And he goes, oh, fuck it. That's cool. That's our opening song. Yeah, he liked it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the score is wonderful. And kudos to Wang Chung. My brother Brian was a big fan of the soundtrack. And he's the one who introduced you to, uh, introduced you to me. And... Uh, I've enjoyed it ever since. It still holds up. Wonderful soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I do like the fact that we're dealing, we meet uh, Jim and we'll call him Rick. Rick is the main lead. Um, yes. Jim is his partner of the times, kind of that seasoned vet. And I do like the introduce Three days before retirement. <laughs> well, I was about to talk about that. But I like I, I, I like how they introduce who they are as they're walking through the hotel lobby and you can hear Reagan in the background giving yes. a famous speech. And I do like the fact that right now, right there, you know, there's Secret Service. The quick introduction to Rick and how he, he sees everything and it being Secret Service, you would have to when he sees the waiter. Yeah. And just kind of clocks clock. Him. No, yeah. drop, just drop, drops off the food. There's something weird about this. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. he sees the food tray empty and he chases him with the roof and he's, Looks like they, he's on the roof and he's gonna blow himself up, and yeah, he's, he's a, an Islamic terrorist. Yeah, but yep. what was he gonna do on the roof? Oh, he caught him, so he had to go to the roof. 
Yes, it, he was a suicide bomber, yeah. and he was planning on killing basically the president and as many people as possible, yeah. and himself. And because Rick caught him in time, he ran to the roof, and he was just going to jump off the roof and kill himself or yes. something. And then his buddy, the old dude, Jim, grabs him from underneath, <laughs> I thought was kind of stupid. How the fuck did he get... How did he get outside the window to grab him and throw him off yeah, the roof? Yeah, it it's a bit contrived, but I mean, it's sort of... They get away I know, it, they do. Know. Don't get me wrong. But it kind of... Uh, you got a pretty... But the best? You got a pretty solid film here. The rest of the film is obviously solid. This seemed more lethal weapon to me to me. I was just about to say, he actually... Uh, before Danny Glover uh, utters it in Lethal Weapon, he actually says, I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny you bring that up because this guy, within the first 10 minutes, gives us the most famous lines you get for a guy who's about to die. A, I'm, I'm too old for this shit. B, I'm three days from retirement. Yeah. And they actually have a retirement party. It's pure cliche, but, but I it's think not, back though. then it wasn't so much of a cliche when this was released. It's become more of a cliche. That's what I was saying. This yes. film became the cliche yeah. That Lethal Weapon and all made fun of. And Seven as well, um, you know, in the 90s, you know, with Morgan Freeman's character was, uh, you know, his last case before retiring, you know, this sort of thing. But let me ask you this then. He decides Jim is going to go uh, uh, investigate something. Like yes. a, um, his last investigation. The, mo- the money. Um, the money laundering, yes. And yet, Rick lets him go. Now, we see Rick as, you know, he's bungee jumping. He's all badass. He's Rick. Why would you let your older partner who's about to retire go by himself? Well, yeah. That's a a big plot contrivance. But um, I think he was going to go anyway. Uh, I think think the way it's sort of framed is that it was just a a routine checking out what he thinks might be a printing factory for counterfeit money, but um, uh, which it sort of is, you know what I mean. Yeah. But but well, can I just can I just say here between uh, around this time we see a scene, a prolonged scene with William Defoe printing the funny money. Yes. Can I just say, as someone who worked in the printing trade, I was basically I was a color proofer, which is a form of being a printer, and it was that specific type. of of printing, I know this is a bit of a, a, a bit of a side story, but um, it is completely accurate. It is fucking staggeringly accurate. Um, the printing, the, the the sort of attention to detail of the printing, even the mixing the ink and stuff, you know, to get the correct ink color, it just shows you freaking's attention to detail. That you know, and the plate making, the making, you, you probably don't know what I'm talking about, the plate making and stuff, but and um, the scanning, everything is down to a T. So it is, and I was, I was like sort of blown away. I know, <laughs> I know that's a really sort of stupid, nerdy thing to be blown away by, but I thought it was amazing. No, I, I, I actually have that in my notes that the the attention to detail, even if it's yeah. not legit, it still looks like it works. No, no, it is, but wow. it is legit. It's one hundred percent legit. Well, I'm glad you you backed. It. Anybody listening from the Secret Service, <laughs> I had Trevor says he knows how it's done. And he actually has flashbacks. He just said this. He has flashbacks of how he used to do it with the pound note. Yep. 
So yeah, um, yeah. I just want to. I, I do I get money or something if you get arrested? <laughs> yeah, you get funny money. Yeah, I I, I slip you a few dodgy twenty pound notes and tenor. Oh my god, no that's how you're paying <laughs> for the trips. Oh, ah, yeah, exactly. I get it. But no, honestly, um, it's it's lithographic printing, and they completely nailed it. I was like, wow, um, you know, this is just so accurate. Um, it's you know. If you if you didn't work on the print and trade and that specific branch of the print and trade, you wouldn't give a shit and you wouldn't care less. But I did, and this is just like sort of down to a T. Now, when thanks for your confession, Trevor. Um, so yes, no problem. Hope the FBI aren't listening. You know, what's, you know what's funny about this? When Jim gets it, mm-hmm. oh, it's a horrible death. And yes, shot right. in the head and everything, and, and blah blah, and you get it—it's it, horrible. I really was pissed because this guy is, is retirement. Usually, in the like we just mentioned, when you when you see it in the films now, they mess like oh, you start laughing. So he, he's yeah. dead. But you really <laughs> didn't want this guy to get it. This guy is well, old he was a nice school, mom. old school, good man. Yeah, and Jesus, when he gets shot right at the, the food, f- such a bastard. I think he says something to him like, "Wrong place at the wrong yeah, time." Yeah, yeah, and then blows the shit out of him. Jesus, it, it's nasty, but it sets um the foe up as a Max, the character, up as a proper threat and villain, um who is ruthless and will go to any lengths and extremes to protect his money counterfeiting business. Now, when he has to get a new partner because of of Jim's death, you get John. Yes. And John is more, you know, by the book. Yeah. And this whole film is about, we talk about arcs a lot in this. And you've got your lead villain, Defoe. And you've got uh, his adversary, Rick, who yes. will do anything to get his villain, to get his bad guy. But he's a dick. And No, no, no. No, no. I would just like to say no, he becomes a dick. Now, let me finish, please. Let me finish. Go ahead. I, Go I ahead. think you're not listening to what I'm saying. Go ahead. I said Rick is a dick. And he is. The main character, Rick, is a dick. John, however, is the the more grounded guy who wants to go by the book. But and the whole point of the film is corruption all around. And when John is embedded in this, the great thing about this film, it's not about Rick. It's not about masters. It is about John and John's journey from going from a decent guy who wants to do his job, play by the book, and it's well peppered in, becomes the Rick character. He becomes the dick. I pretty much agree with you. Um, I, I would say the two main arcs here, um, or as you say, John. Um, you know his arc's fantastic because at first you think he's just like a, a sort of a bit of a sort of silly sidekick. Yeah. With, but but he's not. He has a very a brilliant arc. But I I would also say that Rick has a great arc as well. Yes, he's a bit of a dick at first, but he's generally uh, plays by the rules and is generally a decent man. But as the film progresses, after losing his partner to Max, he become he he gets down the rabbit hole of being like an uber dick. And but also he becomes a criminal himself, no, I, um, all in his desperation to catch Mac. He becomes obsessed. It's an addiction. Yeah, and I agree with that. But the problem is then if that's the, if that's where you want to go, that Rick's a dick. Never liked him. It's bleak. I know. I, it's I never liked him. But that's the whole point. And yeah, it's nihilistic. But it, it, but the problem I have with Rick is you didn't give us enough 
to like him. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, he treats um, uh, was it Ruth? Like yeah, she's his he, whore, and he threatens her pretty much every time. And hence the reason why Ruth betrays him, what she does, and she's right to do so. So I never felt anything for this character. And yeah, I, I sort of know what you're saying because he's he, no real redeeming qualities. You know, nobody does he, in this. And the funny thing is, but that's that's some freaking who who goes full on grabbing. Yeah, you know what I mean. And I like that. If you if you, know if you I mean? like this kind of film, guys, we talk about French Connection. You should watch Cruising with Al Pacino. Very controversial yeah. film. You should check that out. Um, but no, it's wonderful. I'm not. This doesn't damage the film at all. It's, in fact, it's realistic. In fact, it, it 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 does show. And I'm sorry, buddy, where Michael Mann got his stuff, because mm-hmm. this is uh, where Michael, like Heat, is a perfect example of this film. Does you yeah. got the villains who you're kind of rooting for, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, you want the the good guys to get them. But but yeah, it's that yeah. gray area. Um, exactly that nuance and the fact that they're complex human beings first and foremost with shades of, of you know the dark and the light um yes with um rick he is a bit too much of a dick perhaps but it but what i'm th- saying about his arc he becomes like i mean he goes from being a dick at the start to being a criminal and a, and a murderer yeah by the end yeah exactly and he gets his comeuppance yeah yeah and it's it's just this this the funny thing is, the best or oh god, how do I say this? Love going to going to hell. Uh, until the well, this actually the beginning. The Defoe character had to kill Jim because he's a witness. Yeah, and I know that sounds horrible. You had to kill him. He had no choice. But the Defoe character, I don't think is as vile as Rick is. Because the um, because let me let me the the. Master's character, Defoe's character, he's doing his job. He's a criminal. Don't get me wrong. I'm not condoning what he does. And I'm not condoning the killing of Jim. He deserves his comeuppance, period. But Rick should, is on the op, should be on, you know, the, uh, the our side, the rah, rah, rah side. And Rick, Rick becomes um, just as bad as Max. Yes, maybe that's where I'm getting confused. Masters, not Max. You're getting confused now. Is his name not Max? No. Is it not Max? Eric or, Masters. No. Eric Masters. Sorry, sorry. I've said Max a couple of times. You know, yeah. Oh, yeah. Trevor. <laughs> well, <laughs> Edit this I guess I mean, no, you, uh, you must be tired from all your counterfeiting. <laughs> exactly. Actually, I'm going to put it. I'm going to put I'm going to put, you know, what do you call it? Uh, uh, pound or hashtag counterfeiting. So, <laughs> so then the FBI and all the CIA and all will look we'll into our the door down. We'll have like three thousand downloads. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. And then the door busts up the hall. Um. Yeah. So you've got John Turturro, who's the most. Uh, John Turturro, I talk about a lot because I like John Turturro because he plays he plays sleazy good, and he plays the the. Uh, the likable snitch, mm-hmm. um, but with a nasty edge as well. Especially when he tricks Peterson later on, you know, with the which is funny thing. because he's the only fucker to trick Peterson. He's yeah. the only also, one. The guy you think is a fuck up and a class clown. He's the one who actually foil. He's the one who tells Rick to fuck off. Yeah, 
but he also yeah it also shows his more ruthless side but it also um shows peterson as a more of a human character and but also that he's getting really sloppy in his sort of journey down the rabbit hole of well becoming um a fucking villain um because he's making mistakes and bad mistakes yeah that's the problem i think um it's a it's a long enough movie but i wouldn't mind another 20 minutes of him and jim as partners again because you're kind of you introduce them as you know buddies you know partners and then he dies and then rick becomes a douche so Mm -hmm. it's like i wanted to see more of rick of what he accomplished before he turned because we need to see a more human side of him because we don't get it at all yeah but that's why john comes in his new partner he's the more human side of rick Mm -hmm. um so what 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 do you would imagine Rick was at one point? That's my point. That's what yeah, we yeah, need to see. I think we yeah. need to see that. Uh, yeah. I would. I do want to shout out that an underrated film. It's by the Coen Brothers. And John Turturro's in it. Go figure. He's oh, he's in all their stuff. Oh, oh brother, what are they? No, not even close. He is the most vile, disrespect, just just. Ugh, ugliest character. You just want to beat the shit out of him. And he's given so many chances in the film to redeem himself, and he never does. He's the biggest fucking snitch in film history, but it's my most beloved John Turturro role, and it's the movie Miller's Crossing. Yes. You guys yes, want to see nobody about the Irish mob, and, mm-hmm. and Albert Finney's fucking brilliant, and Gabriel Byrne. It's, there's a scene in the woods, which is, and it's, ah, guys, we need we need actually need, we need to hit Coen Brothers real quick here because yeah Coen Brothers are definitely Fargo good. especially it's one of my favorite films of all time Fargo Miller's Crossing Blood Simple The Hudsucker Proxy Proxy yes uh, yeah. Oh Brother Where Art Thou just yeah this goes on Totoro's in Oh Brother Where Art Thou as well though, yeah he? he's one of the leads he's one of the leads yeah yeah well, Clooney um yeah. so it's funny because you, you there's a there's a great character uh, Grimes Bob Grimes played by Dean Stockwell. Yes. There's actually a fucking conversation with Dean Stockwell's talking to Defoe to protect him. And then there's another conversation with Bob, where Grimes is talking to fucking uh, Rick to protect him for what he's <laughs> done. It is amazing how the cops are working with the same lawyer as the villains. But in reality, these th- these are the sorts of things that um, happen yeah, I and have always happened. Yep. And that is why I, li- I like that. Just another reason why I like this so much. It's because, again, down to freaking with the gritty realism. You know what I mean? It's no bullshit here. If we're going to make a cop drama, let's have it realistic. You know what I mean? There, there, it's it's the whole sort of, as we were talking about, the whole the sort of nuance and gray areas between the, the good guys and the bad guys. Yeah, and that's really what this film is about. Yeah. Um. You see that Eric Masters, he, he he's a painter, mm-hmm. and if he doesn't like his work, he he burns it. Yes, which will come back to the very end. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it, it's kind of a it's kind of cool because there's a there's a small part of me who I think Defoe's character and Defoe does it so well because he's what I like about this Defoe. We all we talked this uh, we talked this uh, uh, we talked about this with uh, Walken with Dead Zone mm-hmm. and how Walken's performance is more grounded, but we all know him as the big slapstick kind of over the top, the big hair yeah. Walken, and that's fine, and that's how we know Defoe now. But I know Defoe because I grew up watching his 
like with Streets of Fire and Platoon. He's probably his most grounded. He's most. Mm-hmm. By the way, tell you right now, Defoe should have got the Oscar for Platoon, and by far that is his best performance. It breaks my heart every time I see that. Yeah. Every time he, especially his death scene. His death scene is. With Adagio for strings playing. Yeah. It is amazing. Do you know that whole death scene mm-hmm. was um, a failure? Right? Yeah. And what do you mean by failure? What happened was uh, Stone had him running toward the camera and then he's getting yeah. shot in the back. Oh, by the way, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's going. his hands are going up and he's getting shot. Yes. None of the scripts go off. Right. So you see no blood. And, uh, yes. and but that sort of odds too. Yeah, almost. maybe. And the and Stone, in a poetic way, almost. Yeah. yeah. Stone said, "We're not changing a fucking thing." That was keep it in. Beautiful. Yeah. Nobody needs to see the blood. Just we don't need it. Yeah, I was just about to say that. There, it's, it's almost very artistic. Almost it makes it even more it's poetic. Artistic. It's yeah. Poetic. Yeah. Uh, great fucking movie. Great fucking movie. God damn, what a great. It's fucking one movie. of the best Vietnam films I've ever seen. It is the best. Vietnam. Along it is, with Three Miles Jacket. Uh, I'm gonna go platoon, casualties of war. Casualties of war is another one. Hamburger Hill, yeah. and the boys mm-hmm. at Company C. I don't think I a think lot of most, people see the boys at Company C. I think the most realistic um, Vietnam film though was um, Rambo: First Blood Part Two. I'd agree. <laughs> I would agree. I <laughs> would think that was so brilliant. <laughs> or Chuck Norris is missing in action. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you a story. My granddad, who I was very close to, I used to watch, I loved the Rambo films as a kid, but I was watching Rambo for, you know, one of many times on video. One time, my granddad came into the house and um, he was a World War Two veteran, so he had seen real life war. And he came in, it was around the scene where... Um, Rambo is rescuing the POWs and he's like basically taking on the entire Vietnamese army on his own. And my granddad turned around to me and said, do you know that is so insulting to real life Vietnam veterans? And I was like, wow, what are you talking about? You know, what do you know? You know what I mean? This is art. This is great. But as an adult, I now completely agree with my granddad. <laughs> uh, nothing, you know? nothing beats Platoon. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's the best Vietnam film ever told. No, I would sort of pretty much agree with that. Plus the fact Stone himself was a Vietnam veteran. Yeah, and so was Dale Dye. Mm-hmm. Dale Dye was... It's a great story. Dale, well, I can't believe we're talking, we should wait for this platoon. Well, fuck it. Well, I don't <laughs> give a shit. So, Oliver Stone's... I, I, My brother Paul will fucking go ape shit if I get this wrong. Oliver Stone's commanding officer yeah. was Dale Dye. And Dale Dye is an everything by Oliver Stone. He plays the commander-in-chief. He was the commander in Casualties of War. Michael J. Fox reported yes. him. He's yes. got the he's got the yes. white hair and the mustache. Yes, I know who you're talking about. Yes, I was yeah. wondering who you were talking about at first, but I think I know who you're talking about. Dale yeah. Dye, One of those character types. Yeah. He's, a, he's like a fucking four-star, whatever he is. But the guy's... Mm-hmm. But he's got that really cool... There's something in his accent. He's, yeah, he looks like a sort of... An American captain, yeah, you know, just commanding cool, officer just type. Cool. But Dale Dye, he was in, so he does a lot of Oliver Stones and a lot of war films after that. But anyways, mm-hmm. welcome back to Live Die LA. Yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> bit of a segue there. <laughs> oh, who gives a fuck? So I do like how Totoro, one of my favorite, my if actually I take it, my favorite scene is the the airport scene. And yes, it's brilliant. It's where John. Goes, uh, Cody, which is John Turturro's character, is trying to escape with money. Yeah. And 
William Peterson is sitting there waiting for John to go to the uh, the ticket agent. Let me see the money he just paid with. Um, and yeah, he's trying by, to by test it to see if it's counterfeit. Yeah. Yeah. So when he he does a test, and the music's like building up, and you got Wang Chung going, doom, doom. <laughs> you know, you got this little. It is so weird. He's this film. Oh, so fucking yeah. cool, though. You got doom. Yeah. Doom. No, it's not a complaint. That's and then a the minute John looks at him, he goes, yep, it's counterfeit. Mm-hmm. He fucking, and, and, and Willie Pearson just fucking books it toward Cody to get him. And then the music yeah. just kicks in. It's so fucking good. It's so intense and so fun. Mm-hmm. And then I love the bathroom scene. Was, hey, I'm just here to take a piss. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. It, 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 it blends comic element very well. Yeah, but it doesn't overdo it, obviously, because it's freaking. Yes. You know what I mean? But it does yeah. it when you're doing it with Cody. Yeah. My point is that the John Turturro character is kind of like the likable snitch. Mm-hmm. And so you can play a little comic book, a little humor in that yeah. scene because you're... You, well, because he can play it? Yes, because John Turturro is kind of a flake. Yeah. But also, um, I also you also feel a bit sorry for him when you think he's going to get it in the jail as well, you know? Oh, no, because he's... Yeah, he is. But then you want him to yeah. get it when he fucks over... <laughs> Yeah, well, that, exactly. Well, what we're saying is perfect because when he finally has to fucking grease the wheels to get him out of prison, yeah, because he needs him to yep. get to masters. Mm-hmm. So when he gets him out, and of all these assholes and and all this arrogance of Rick, the one mm-hmm. guy to fuck him over and he doesn't see it coming is Cody. Yep. Mm-hmm. The you know the goofy. Oh, I don't know why I'm here, snitch guy. <laughs> yep, he's mm-hmm. the one guy to fuck him over. Yep, it's brilliant. And again, it just shows you that you know Peterson's character is you know he's getting more and more sloppy, making stupid mistakes, um, and his downfall. You know, talk about films like you know the rise and fall of a gangster, which is an old trope. You know, Scarface, Goodfellas, the lot. But this is the the rise and fall of a cop, <laughs> if you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, you know. You know? I mean, this is where everything starts to turn a bit. Where John, who's going by the book, but John's fucking up too. Yeah, the he bar. like when he fell asleep when they're doing the stakeout. Yes, and the guy who took uh-huh. the money, Cody was right. The former happy, who's a tech, who deserved to get killed. <laughs> yeah, he deserved to die anyway. He gets shot in the dick. Ugh. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but. So, but that's a show that he's a rookie. That's a mm-hmm. show that he's still uh, a little... Experienced. Yeah, he's a little wet behind the ears. And you throw him to this guy who was pretty much a lion, a caged mm-hmm. lion. Um, uh, but the, I will say this, the the chemistry between him and Rick is pretty solid. John yeah, Pacnow has had a pretty successful career on his own. But he, he's almost... The great thing about the film is that he plays a character by the book, but he slowly, you slowly see him transition into what Rick is. And the reason I mentioned in the beginning, I think John has the best arc, is because every scene that Rick does something fucked up, John lets him get away with it, or John helps him and along yeah. that path. And as you know, at the end of the film, he turns himself. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I, I, I and it, it's subtle. And even though he's he, he's slowly turning, you you can see 
the influence of the corrupt, even the corrupt police, especially with uh, the lawyer and Rick, and then yep. you got Masters. He's surrounded by all this filth. The only decent guy is his, his sergeant and a couple of the mm-hmm. cops he knows, but we're not introduced to them. They're not in it enough for us to care. So John is surrounded by all these pretty much, quite frankly, villains. Yep. Cor- corruption everywhere, um, including within his own force. And his sort of journey to becoming a part of that corruption, it's a gradual one, but there are key moments, you know? Yeah. It's... It's very well paced. Yeah, it is. And it's not its not like long-winded, like, oh, God, what's going to happen now? What's yeah. going to happen now? Oh, my God. No, it's tight. Yeah. It's very, it's tightly done. So it is. It's done by a, um, a great filmmaker for all his sort of eccentricities, let's just say. Freaking knew what he was doing. Of course he does. I mean, he's yeah. experienced uh, with the uh, Oscar-winning classic. Yeah. Um, so nobody will help them. They need to come up with 30K. To get this deal done with Masters, right? Because Masters yes. wants thirty k up front. Exactly. They're pretending they're basically undercover, pretending that they're like um, sports. You know what I loved as well. See when they're pretending to be like these sort of sports club, very eighties. Um, yeah. yeah. From um, Staten Island or not Staten Island? Where is it to say they're from? Somebody somewhere sort of fucking exotic or yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, the Hamptons um, or something like that. Yeah, it's it. But, but what I thought was a brilliant touch uh, was usually in films like this, um, the villain will fall for a hook, line, and sinker. And although he does, um, the foe knows fine rightly that this is probably bullshit. And you know, so that was a good touch because he's obviously a very clever guy, streetwise guy. So although the plot has to happen and he has to sort of roll with it, it's like saying. Yeah, but I don't. I still don't trust these fuckers. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I thought that was an excellent touch. That's what I liked about it because it's not John's fault. I think it's Eric's fault. What's Peterson? I'm. I'm sorry, guys. I'm. I'm. I'm doing an actor with the name and all. We'll, yep. we'll just say Peterson at this point. Peterson's character is so arrogant, and cocky. He should have seen the fact that fucking Masters Defoe's character is is on to him um, because Defoe is way, way too accepting of this. And so, but, but Defoe also says at points, you know what I mean, that um, you know, I, I basically I don't bat these guys claim they're from such and such, but yet they don't have a tan and stuff like this. So you know, he's a clever guy, but he ha- usually in films like this, he would just swallow it. But um, yeah, it's just very well written. Yeah, and so nobody will help them get the thirty k. In all fairness, they probably would have been able to get the thirty k, but we'll go with it. But they decide. Ruth tells him about this guy who's coming in and he's going to have all this cash. Diamonds? Yeah, and you come in and you can grab his money, but I get a percentage, is what mm-hmm. Ruth says. Thomas Lang, I believe, is going to have 50K cash. It's cash, not di- not diamonds, it's cash. It's, it's cash to buy diamonds, I think. Yes. Yeah. Um, And then we get probably... Again, freaking at his best. One of the coolest car chase scenes. It's so fucking fun. Uh, the, but also there's the big sort of... I mean, it is amazing, like the car chase. But also there's the big shocker that it turns out the guy who ends up getting killed, who they basically take the money off, um, the Chinese guy, it turns out it was a fucking undercover FBI agent. So they've, they they um, have basically... They're at fault for basically one of their own men well, getting brutally murdered. That's where I get confused. Yes. So... Eric goes to the train station, 
mm-hmm. to kidnap Thomas Lang. Right? Yes. Then you have two men who are waiting for him as well. So they yes. see uh, William Peterson take him to the car, and that's the chase. Yes. Shoes. But, and then the guys who are following him see them underneath the bridge, and and then they find out that uh, John and and uh, Eric find mm-hmm. out that it's a setup of some sort because the, there's a phone book in the in the in the case, not actual cash. Mm-hmm. And then somebody, and then one of the guys snipes Thomas Ling. Was Thomas yes. Ling supposed to be killed, or was that no, whole thing no. a sting to get William Pierce's Thomas character? Thomas Ling w- w- was killed um, just in the sort of crossfire type thing. Okay, but what I don't get. Okay, so Thomas Ling was in the crossfire. We know he's an FBI agent at this point. Yes. No, we don't, but we figure it out. And yeah, we'll the it. guys who shot him it was by accident. But the guys who end up this great chasing, by the way, and John's going fucking ape shit in the back because he's a rookie. He doesn't understand, uh-huh. but you know, Willie Peterson's a badass driver. They they get away <laughs> with it. But was it a setup to get Rick? I I, I think it, it's connected to these other criminals who are. Uh, it's it's not really to do with the Fool's character or anything. This is just a separate sort of thing. No, to do with because. They, we find out Ruth, and rightfully so, sets up Rick. Yes. She is told to tell him about this dude. Yeah. So I think it's an undercover sting operation. Yes, it, it is. Then how come, but there, how come he wasn't But there's criminals involved as well. I'm confused. That's where I got confused. No, no. Right. My impression, and again, I could be wrong, was that this is, this is supposed to be... For want of a better phrase, a diamond fucking deal. Let's just call it right. Um, between criminals that weren't, as far as I understand, connected at least not originally connected to Defoe's character. However, um, what happens is um because they're looking at the thirty grand, um, Peterson and John, they go to basically rob the deal and get the money. That's all they're interested in the money. Right, but it gets fucked up whenever the other, ah, I'm assuming, criminal guys okay, come along okay. and then see some shit is going down and they start firing and shooting. Got it. So they, because, and you never, there's three different sides here. Yes, and you never really see their, the guys who are shooting to get their money back or the cops who are involved in the sting op. It's a sting operation. Yeah. They get involved and they don't realize that uh, William yeah. Peterson and John are, are in, cops. Are cops. Yeah, yeah. And you never about, and you never really see their faces because they're down yeah. the distance. There's about three or four different sides here in this sort of part of it, um, and I don't think any of them are really um, to do with the foes money laundering or sorry not money laundering money counterfeiting um, business. This is a separate thing that the um, the tout, you know, the girl Ruth um, had wired him off about. This is like a, a, almost like a, a subplot for him to get the money up. Thirty grand. Yeah, because Ruth tells him it's uh, some guys coming in, but she knows yes. it's a sting, but she doesn't tell him that. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, he get busted. I think yeah. that's what she was yep. trying to do. At first glance, I didn't think he did know, but uh, yeah, in retrospect, and after what you're saying, yeah, there's a good chance he was looking fucking rid of yeah, him. Type yeah, yeah, he's a fucking dick. Set, set him up. Yeah, yeah, he is a dick. Yeah, um, especially to her. Now the. I remember seeing this. Uh, my one of my, my friends growing up was Pete Risden. He was a big fan of this, and we we watched it on video. And when you kill the lead, 
I remember seeing this go, what, what, wait a minute, what? Yeah, brilliant. When you kill the main character and he gets his head blown off and the rookie now is the one who takes over, takes over and saves the day. And it was a fucking wow. Shocker. Shocker. And apparently this was decided at the last minute when they were actually filming the scene. It, it's kind of bittersweet because I hate the fact when John goes to see Masters. And mm-hmm. I think this ending was kind of rushed a little bit because it seems like pretty easy. Oh, I'm going to set myself on fire. Well, see, what, what I don't like about this scene... Why is he um, sitting was, in the middle of a fucking barn? This became a bit too cheesy and a bit too Hollywood from what had went before, which was a gritty, a gritty grounded, realistic sort of cop thriller. Uh, this goes a bit too Hollywood for me then, where it's over the, and over the top, which goes against the tone of everything that came before, especially after the sh- complete shocker of Peterson being shot like that. You know, the main character. And it's such a realistic and brutal manner. Yeah, I, I just I just felt it was... I think that's why I was, I was bringing up where Defoe's character burns his paintings if he yes. if he sees something he doesn't like in it. Yeah. And he's sitting down in the middle of his, of his counterfeit barn being on fire and all. And yeah. here comes John. And there's a little fight sequence, but... Was 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 Masters giving up pretty much and just ending it? Uh, yeah, because the game was up, and, and I think it was almost like the whole poetic sort of thing that was foreshadowed before with the burning of the paintings. Yeah, it was technically his um, printing of the funny money was in a way a work of art, and then of course he's the final work of art at the at the very end when he goes up in flames. Yeah. You know, so there is something that's kind of poetic about it. It just poetic it just justice. it just seems weird because why would he fight John then? Why did you just let John... Well, apparently this was decided at the last minute. When they were filming the scene, Peterson was originally meant uh, meant to survive, and I think it was freaking say, well, why don't we just fucking kill him off? And then the teens that were, the, I think... Now, what I've read up on anyway, where he, uh, Peterson was meant to just get shot in the stomach, but then survive, but then says, nah, we'll just fucking blow his brains out. It's a real shock. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's, and, uh, they, they did the right... They, they made the right call on that one. Yeah, and it's something that... Um, Tarantino will go on to do you know similar things it's totally messing with the audience's expectations uh, so yeah and then you get the ending where mm-hmm. John walks walks to Ruth Ruth's packing yes. I'm leaving here blah blah and John goes you work for me now did you notice did you notice the very final shot with the what? truck yes you know who's in the, in the truck driving it John nope no no if you look closely, it's William Peterson, and it's like it, oh it's a, it, no, it's a fl- yes, it's a sorry, it's a flashback to yes. show that he's become yes. he's become him, he's yes. become yes. him. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. There you go, there you go, guys. I think that was kind of all over the place, but what the fuck? I kind of enjoy talking about it. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, it it, it, it was a bit of an erratic um, sort of podcast, but you know what? It's an erratic film, but a brilliant one as well. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, one of freaking's best, and uh, I think we both know where we stand on it. Everything's good about it, so we're not. It's superb. It's got yeah. some flaws that we mentioned. We're not going to go over them. Uh, we're just going to take this final moment to say uh, it sucks that William Freakin has passed. We are going to lose, <laughs> obviously, uh, the way life works. We will lose some greats, um, and William Freakin is one of them. And I will always know him for The Exorcist, French Connection, Sorcerer, 
and To Live and Die in L.A. Those are the films that I know him for, and, you know, kudos. It's just a a classy, grounded, gritty, noir cop thriller. Brilliant. Yep, yeah, I was talking about, yeah, I was talking about freaking, but that's cool, yep, it is. Well, I'm talking about his film. (laughs) That's cool. I was just kind of, you know, letting the... (laughs) All right, well, I guess you don't want anything to say about freaking. You just want to talk about the film. That's, no, no. No, I mean, no, too, too late, Trevor. Too late. You take, you take, <laughs> the man is gone now, and you've taken that away from him and his family. Freaking to me, directed what I consider to be um, not only one of the greatest horror films made, but one of the greatest films all, all around made, The Exorcist. He was one of the greats. And sadly, as we discussed, you know, sort of not on the podcast the other day, all of the greats, including Freakin, um, are sadly passing away, and there doesn't seem to be anybody really there to fill their rather big shoes. Yes, we still have Tarantino and David Lynch and the like, but you know Tarantino's already said that he's going only going to be making one more film. Lynch has pretty much retired from film making. Spielberg, he's getting on a bit as well. So I don't know, but what I will say, at least we still have. The likes of Freakin's films and all, we always will do. So that takes some comfort in that. Yeah, um, there's some good directors out there, but hopefully, studio interference. Yeah, studio interference is becoming really bad. Um, Mm -hmm. Especially producers, young producers who don't know what the fuck they're doing, who inherited something that they don't understand. And uh, I think what it boils down to is basically money. Um, because it real, it's always been money, but um, even more so these days. Because a lot of the, especially the big mainstream films in Hollywood, cost so much money now. Studios are not prepared to take any risks at all. The sort of risks that people like no, Freakin, Tarantino, I, I, and all I just, take. I disagree with that one hundred percent. I think you need, I think it's the opposite. And the reason I say that is, that I think the problem is they're they're too focused on the big blockbuster, and I'm hoping. Uh, with all these strikes and all going on, and they realize that independent markets were to go sometimes. Uh, you have a lot of success with independent. Horror is a perfect example. Yeah. Uh, that Jim Caviezel film that's out that's fucking huge. You've got... Sound of Freedom. Yeah, I mean, that's multi, multi. I mean, so I think if you go back to what works, more the independent format, because the independents were and the horror or whatever independent film you're making that's where the money maker is mm-hmm. let those visionaries do their work they'll get you the money to help you piggy you know bankroll some of the bigger stuff so that I think the studios need to compromise and you know these maybe get the guns for hire might be good for the big blockbusters because that's what they know what to do but when it comes to like the middle middle of the road kind of films uh, like the uh, the upper comers, like uh, Wingard, McLean, uh, West, Ty West, Ty, yeah. yeah, West, and uh, you know, let them speak their own voice, and they'll bring you the money to help you kind of keep your mainstream big blockbusters going. That's the way they need to be doing it. Well, uh, yeah, that was pretty much sort of the point I was sort of getting at as well. No, it um, you no, know, I mean, there's multiple issues. Liar. You know, well, my point was that it's, you know to do. <laughs> Shut up. To do with, you know, um, they're not prepared to take any risks because the big budget films cost so much these days. So when they're not prepared to take risks, they're not going to let um, a visionary director have his way when they should be, whether it's a blockbuster or a 
and a, a more smaller grounded but film. But independent films like Tarantino, even Clint Eastwood to this day. Yeah. Cost thirty million to make. Oh, why? I mean, that's why I'm talking about independent. I'm not talking two million. I'm talking fifty million yeah. less. All right, and give those leave those guys alone. Let them do what they want. You know, the Lynches, the Wests, whatever. Mm-hmm. Let let them do their thing. They'll get you the money. Just leave them the fuck alone. Yeah, I totally. Agree. That's what we need to go. And then when it comes to the big blockbusters, you are gonna micromanage. It's going to happen. I get that because you're spending $300 million on something. That's going to happen. And I want that. I, I, and I want that. But No, no. Well, but well, well what, about with, what about with Ben Wheatley getting brought on board for Meg 2? That works? Yeah, exactly. And, and that's it, a big blockbuster. Well, it did okay in the U.S., but it made massive in Europe and all yeah. over the world. So, yeah, you're right. He, he's done well. And it had a Wheatley touch. Yeah. So... You still kept with the, which we'll talk about that with the Meg soon. Mm-hmm. So hopefully they become a common ground. Um, I just don't want the artistic process to be neglected because some young fucking punk sitting in an office thinks he's better than the Wests, the Wheatleys, the Tarantinos. Because guess totally what? Agree. Guess what, guys? You're not better than them. They're yeah, the director. You wouldn't even fucking lace their fucking your, their shoelaces. Your job is to make sure they don't go over budget. That's it. And I understand that. That's the producer's job. Kudos. And they get it within the times the time frame. I respect that. That's your job. But do not touch the artistic process of an independent filmmaker. You can't do it because you're fucking bleeding good directors. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You're, you're yeah. bleeding good directors dry. Mm-hmm. So when we lose the Freakins and the Spielbergs and stuff like no offense, Spielberg, if you're listening to this, I hope you're alive and well. But my point is that where are you going to go then? Where, where, where's your Oscars going to go to? Are they going to go to the guys who directed Thor 12? Exactly. You know? Exactly. So. I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah, I mean, uh, I would even go further and say that just uh, I would give the directors complete creative freedom on the big budgets as well as the regular, more grounded ones. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Stay the fuck out of the creative process. These guys are just businessmen, and that's why they're putting in because it's you know all about the money. But um, yeah, I just yeah yeah it pisses me off. Yeah. Well, it's gray air with the bigger budgets, but I hear you. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Uh, you can always follow us. Give us a shout at Citizen Frame underscore podcast at Instagram and of course Facebook. The new issue of Phantasm Goria will be coming out when? And about a week's time. Uh, about a week's time after this is um, this podcast is released, and it's issue number twenty three, um, a, a regular issue, you know, as opposed to a special. So it's on the way, folks. And of course, you don't get one. But you get two reviews from me. You do indeed. Yes, and Kieran reviews right. Indiana Jones and the Tale of Destiny and also Meg 2 in it. That's right. So, so bad for that alone. Ex- yeah, and I don't write good. So, <laughs> Oh, your, your, your content's fine. <laughs> uh, right. You're trying to fucking sell a magazine? Don't fucking say shit like that. I don't write good, but... <laughs> <laughs> What the I, fuck? I, I, think, I think. What sort of a sales pitch is that? I think, I think they're on this point. They're gonna go, yeah, that all that Kieran. Yeah. Wah, wah, wah. No, no, no. What what Kieran actually really meant there was, 
Uh, Trevor's a brilliant editor. <laughs> what are you yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> Jesus. So, yeah. All right, guys, we're going to end this one. Uh, William Freakin, you're the man. RIP, Rest pal. in peace. Rest in peace. Yeah. We're done. Take care. Straight on the seam, designed to lie in white 